Kirsty Moffat. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Kirsty. Right on this winter summer solstice day for both of us this week. Happy Christmas week. Oh, happy Christmas week to you. Are you um, now, because you're in lockdown in Hamburg, I am not in lockdown in Australia. I've done zippity-doo Christmas shopping. I've done one child. I have four children and I've done <laughs> one child. Um does this mean you've done all of your Christmas shopping? And we should say it's the 21st of December, which is Gravy Day. Paul Kelly fans out there, the 21st of December. How much shopping have you done? Well, I haven't really done that much. And I have to say that when they announced the new lockdown in Germany last week and said there's going to be two shopping days until Christmas in the middle of last week, I posted on my Insta stories, which I thought my children never, never pay attention to and said, oh, dear Germans, you know, I hope you're super organized like you always are and are not out shopping for the next two days because I've got stuff to do. And my daughter sent me a DM because that's how we communicate, <laughs> no point talking, and said, yeah, there's no prizes for getting sick during a pandemic, so you should stay in. And I said, so just so you know me staying in and not shopping means that there's going to be lots of pieces of paper on Christmas Day that say, here is a picture of a present that you'll get after Christmas. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I'd rather that. So I was kind of buoyed by that. And yeah. so I didn't go shopping. And there are very few gifts under our tree. Uh, but I think that's going to be okay. I think everybody's on board with that and understands that it is a certain type of year. I mean, you know, we can't see anybody else. We're only going to be with each other. As long as there's something there for us all and, you know, a little bit to yeah. celebrate on the day, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fine. Agreed. Uh, so we've had a little break for a few weeks and um, because your dad passed away. And so we just want to say, and you've had lots and lots of lovely messages from the, the fatties, the fatterati around the world, sending you messages and best wishes. And everyone wants to just say, you know, they're all thinking of you at this time. Oh, that was, tough. That's lovely. And I did get lovely, lovely, lovely messages. Um, you know, Nikki, you and I, uh, we're talking sort of when it all went down for those um I wrote a post about it uh, on on the day it all sort of happened but my dad had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer back in July July 9th was when mum sent me the text to say that um they'd diagnosed him with pancreatic cancer and they said that they didn't think he'd make it and by Christmas they didn't think he'd be here and my dad certainly uh, was going along with that right from the day of diagnosis. He said, no, nope, I don't want to be here if I'm going to be sick. I don't want to be miserable and sick and awful. And so he really, um, I think he did it as best as he could. Do you know, he he was at home right until the end and he had a fall on the on the sort of last day and went off to hospital and died in hospital that night. I said in my, uh, I did dad's eulogy and my dad was born and raised in a town called Renmark, which he absolutely loved. Um, he lived there his entire life. My mum and him have had lunch together every day for 58 years in Renmark. And um, I said that when the ambulance people told him they were going to take him to Bury, which was the town next door, that he would have rather died than spend a night in Bury, so he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, um, I was very, very close to my dad, so it's been 
Uh, just horror and Nikki you have been an amazing support through this because you and I have had several long and teary chats before we've even got on the podcast about you know my driving I've been back and forth to Remark and spending time with him and got to got to spend a lot of time with him I was very very lucky uh, I just shudder when I think of what would have happened if I was still in Qatar and what just even what it would would have been like to watch him from afar because he when you get cancer like that as you know Nikki you lost your mum with bowel cancer is people just disappear in front of your eyes and I can't imagine the pain that that is for people that are trying to do that via Skype and FaceTime and because it is hard enough in person when you're fronting up each week and you think oh you look worse and then they look worse and then they look worse and you can see I know for me what got me through is my dad's eyes stayed the same all the way through he had these beautiful kind smiley eyes and so I would just look at him and think there you are I can see you Anyway, this is meant to be a happy Merry Christmas podcast. So we won't go on with the grief, but I did want to say thank you so, so much because there were literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages and I didn't get back to all of them because it just became, you know, there were so many by the end of it. And um, But I just wanted to say thank you to everyone and it really meant a lot. I thought the Fatarati community was strong. We came together and I am really thinking about those who are away from family at the moment and how hard it must be. Nikki, from that, let's try and move on to our four fat questions. Um, what's your first one? Oh, you can kick it off. Okay, uh, Kirsty. So uh, lockdown round three, <laughs> what to do? <laughs> is reading your friend or is it not? I mean, it's so hard to say and our numbers have just been all over the place in Germany and then Angela got on TV last week and got a bit emotional and said, you know, if you guys want to see your grandparents next Christmas, you got to let them, let them be this Christmas. And so they, as I said, we just, they shut all the shops and they've asked people in there being quite strict about who you're allowed to see and when you're allowed to see them and all that kind of stuff. And so... I kind of feel, and I've said this to you before, the first lockdown until my um, husband had a had a health scare, um, it was really like I quite enjoyed it. We had lovely weather. <laughs> you know, we had a good routine. We were mm. fine. And then but that's the weather, the weather. And then we had, the, you know, the summer and then we had the sort of mini lockdown after summer and then now we've got this much more serious one and it's just so hard yeah. I just it's really mentally affected me this time in a way that it didn't the last two times mm. and I know we were talking before the podcast saying that you know I'm I'm quick with the judgment on other people in my head even if I don't say it out loud about a whole range of things and I just I really feel that I have perhaps you know, misjudged people from afar when looking at them dealing with their different lockdowns because this time I just, I'm really feeling it. I really feel, I feel high levels of anxiety. I feel, even though I'm allowed to go outside whenever I want, I feel claustrophobic mm-hmm. being inside. I just, I, I I don't know what's going on. Yeah. A bit all over the shop. So you are allowed to go outside whenever you like? Yes, we don't have any rules about that at all. We are able to go outside. We're not allowed to be with 
other people, like we can, right. you can be with one other person. They're meant to be from your household. Um, you can distance more than six feet with one other person from one other household. But uh, people do get stopped on the street and, um, you know, if, or if they're sitting talking outside and just ask for their IDs to see whether they're from the same household or not. So, yeah, certainly groups and there's fines, et cetera. So, uh, you know, it's... It is serious because we do have a big issue we have to deal with here in terms of the spread of the virus, and I do understand that. So, yeah, like I can go outside, but when it's rainy and grey and the sun comes up at 8.30 and goes down at 4 o'clock. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because, of course, in the in the summer you were doing your walks around the Ulster and yes. that's when we first got into the, you know, forming a habit and going and doing it every day. You were going to do one of 50, I think it was, until your 50th. And, yeah, you had that routine of little achievements. And, you know, it comes back, I know, Nikki, before we started, I showed you a picture of a piece of garden that I'd weeded, which is my my biggest achievement. You know, look at this little square patch of what, two metres by two metres that I managed to clear. Um, oh, it's so funny how strange we've all got in this world. Look, I can't pretend to have a dog in this race because I have not experienced the lockdowns. We've had two lockdowns here and both have been short and reasonably painless. And I do live just near the beach. And so, you you know, in the lockdowns I've had, I've still been able to, although actually, no, there was our really serious lockdown for three days where I, I couldn't go to the beach, but that's what I <laughs> three mean. Days, three. <laughs> I'm a joke, right? Like I, I do not have a dog in this race. But the one thing I have noticed, from podcasts and newspapers and it's the same thing that everybody is saying from all over the globe no matter where we are is sleep nobody's sleeping properly because everybody has sort of this level of anxiety and there's there's just been if you go and have a look at the new from the new york times to you know the daily telly there are constant conversations from our medicos about sleep. Um, and so I was doing a little bit of research about why, why that is and why we struggle with it so much and what sleep does to us. So during the day, we're sort of faced with all this information that we can't retain. And at the moment, we've got all sorts of crazy stuff that's coming at us all the time. We're, and we're constantly talking. I've been... Um, after Christmas shopping, I dropped in to see some people tonight. That is, while while people don't have to worry about Corona right here inside their house, they're all talking about it in the state next door and is it coming and how it's going to get here and have you seen what's happening in Sweden and have you heard what's happening in London? Do you know, everybody's obsessed with it. So we can't process all that stuff during the day. So we move some parts of that information to our short-term memory and then we keep the other stuff, our long-term memories, that's called um, memory consolidation. That all happens in our sleep. Like that's what happens when we go to sleep. Our brain is processing this. And because of our new schedules and we're all sort of, you know, maybe turning off alarm clocks because we don't have to get up as early to get to the office and we don't have to go to those things that we would normally go to. Our sleep is getting massively interrupted and we're all having these chronic problems that come from a lack of sleep. 
So there's all sorts of things that come from insomnia, anything from diabetes to cardiovascular disease to hypertension. It makes us fatter, which I've definitely found. I'm blaming it on that. (laughs) Um, It makes losing weight more difficult, anything. So if we don't sleep properly, that gives us lots of grief. So Nikki, that's the only thing I can offer you is that you need to make sure that you're getting proper sleep and how to go about it. I do not know. Apart from to tell you, don't nap. Make sure you get into a rhythm of meals and exercise. Make sure you get some sunlight, even if that's sitting by a window. Um, Avoid caffeine. Get off the fags. Avoid electronics before bedtime. Um, and if sleep is impossible, you're meant to read and do, or do a puzzle. Do you want to tell me where I can go and shove my puzzle? <laughs> I have to say yesterday, I, um, no, I really thank you for that because it is nice to hear like someone say sensible facts <laughs> to me, but yesterday I was on a, I was on a, I was on, on an electronic device scrolling, doom scrolling, which is one of the words of 2020, doom scrolling. Oh, yeah. And so I was just scrolling through and I saw somebody and it, it, there is a very lovely podcast that I talked about before, but I listened to called Two Peas Podcast. And yes. um, it, the, the one of the hosts was on there and, and they live in, they're in, both in Melbourne. So they went through a very long lockdown. It was quite a difficult lockdown. And so she was on there doing some stories. She said, dear Sydney, you know, we're really thinking of you. You know, we're not going to give you any advice because when everyone gave us advice when we were locked down, (laughs) we hated it. (laughs) So we just want to say we're really thinking of you and we're sending you lots of love. And I wrote to them, I said, thank you, thank you from Germany. I I just said, you know, that is so nice because it it is, and I have asked you for this advice, so I'm not telling you to to shove it anywhere. (laughs) But it it is like people say, and that's that's me. Like I'm like, well, I was fine during my first lockdown, so I don't understand what these people are doing. Like this is what they should be doing. But if you're not living in and you haven't been through the same experience uh-huh. then it's so hard to understand how it is and our first lockdown was absolutely the weather was unbelievable for northern germany i mean we had sunshine every day yeah. now if that doesn't make you feel better i don't know what does because i am very affected by sunlight so um you know those are really important things for me i am a sunlight person yesterday i had to um uh, I was helping my son with some things because, of course, we're in grade 12 IB and there's lots of things to do. <laughs> and I, after sitting in the corner of his room all day, encouraging him strongly to finish something, I was like four o'clock, it was dark. I was like, I have to go out. My husband said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. I'm just going out. Yes. And I just had to go outside. I have to go outside every day, which is why I have loved going to the office and having that ability to just leave and be somewhere. And now our office is officially closed for the holiday, so there's no one in there. So I could even still go into the office every day. (laughs) My husband said this morning, are you going to the office today? I said, no. He said, why are you working from home? I said, no. He said, are you on holiday? So I said, no. I was like, I didn't, I didn't know if I should tell him I was on holidays or not because he's like, <laughs> does that mean I can't leave the house? Uh, so anyway, thank you very much. And, we, you know, we'll be fine. It's just a really tricky time. And, you know, there are people in a lot worse situations than us. And 
you know, I look at all the people in all the situations around the world and I think, you know, mm. I do, I'm sending you all the love wherever you are because it's it's shitty right now. It is. <laughs> in a lot of places. Okay, Nikki, on to a more administrative question. And this one came up in the Two Fat Expats uh, Facebook group and I thought it was fantastic. Someone asked, how do you deal when you've had all these different lives and all these different locations, how do you deal with the one email box? Like how does one declutter an inbox with all your previous lives in it? And you know what I mean, all those things you subscribe to in different countries that mean nothing once you've moved because you're not part of that email cluster anymore. What, what have you done to declutter your inbox of all your previous lives? Yeah, see, I'm really bad at that because I I miss my previous life. So when I move, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to keep that. You know, I, I'm not a cutter-offer. Yeah. I, I, I read once about how one woman said when she leaves somewhere, she just takes herself out of all the local Facebook groups that she was in, et cetera, et cetera. I can't do that. I feel like, oh, no, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. I feel a little bit nauseous thinking about that. Yeah. So, of course, I ease myself out slowly. I don't, you know, stay in there forever. But it, it's like so I, I find that about 12 months in, I'm like, why do I have all these emails? Okay, let me go through and do some unsubscribing. So you sit there unsubscribing for, you know, a couple of days. You put a recite time to hit the unsubscribe button and tell them all why you don't want it. <laughs> why are you leaving? Please, are you sure? And then some of them send you an email saying, we just want to check you that you're sure you're unsubscribed. You click on it and suddenly you subscribed again, not because you meant to, just because of the way they're tricking you. They're very cleverly worded, um, aren't they? The marketing people making the big bucks. So, yeah, look, I think um, I'm slow on the unsubscribe. I'm slow of, uh, you know, removing myself from the relevant sort of social media groups but that all goes into your email box I do appreciate gmail and how it just divides everything up for you so and that's one thing I guess that makes it slower for me because if you look at your gmail on a any sort of web browser it divides it all up so you only ever see the things that are important like the direct ones to you because they filter everything else out yes and so I like it, but it also means that you could be longer involved yes. because on all those other tabs you're not looking at, yeah. it's just stacking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of people said that with Gmail addresses, that they changed them to put the plus sign after their names to add different Gmail addresses for different countries, and that's how they go about it. Someone else said about unroll.me, which is a service where you just un, you know unsubscribe from everything, but then someone else pointed out that that doesn't always work in the EU due to privacy issues. Look, one of the most sensible things I saw was someone said every, every time they move, they add it to the to-do list. They put unsubscribe from emails on their to-do list and they do it. Another one that someone said, and I have been doing this and it does work, is that every day you unsubscribe from two different email subscriptions. So now when my 
when my inbox comes in and, you know, there's 22 different things, I choose a couple that I'm going to unsubscribe from. And so I've just been doing it piece by piece, just going through and doing another one and another one and another one. Because it depends about your time of life too. Like I know when we were building this house, there were plenty of different subscriptions I signed up for that were all about building a new house and then then you don't need them anymore it's like I really don't when you go through the fetish of I really want linen bed sheets and suddenly you signed up to all these different <laughs> linen bed sheet makers it's like yeah I don't I don't need to be looking at their stuff anymore because I don't know do you are you a person that when you open your email you just automatically go delete 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 to all the ones you don't want because I am too. And then it's like, no, just unsubscribe. Instead of swiping left to delete. Don't delete. Yeah, don't delete, unsubscribe. Take the extra 20 seconds. Yes. And because. uh, Sorry. And I was going to say, I only learned through this um, conversation that in my inbox, so I've got just the normal Apple mail that you have. When, now when I, I've realised they make it very easy for me in my inbox that it comes through. So if anyone else uses Apple Mail, they actually have, without even opening the email, on the right-hand side it, say, it says that you're on it, that the, it's a subscription. Oh, I can't remember what the actual title of it is. But if you look over on the top, on the right-hand side, it gives you the ability to just unsubscribe without even having to, you know, scroll through the email and find the the link that you click oh, on. Oh, click on the thing. Yeah, it gives you the ability to do it in the actual email that comes through in the in the top right hand corner. It'll say manage subscription or something. And so now I've started doing it that way. Um and it seems to work. Uh, there's an article that I will attach to the show notes from The Verge, how to unsubscribe and declutter your email email inbox. I reckon that's where I got the tip from there. Okay, that's me. That's me and my question. That's excellent. Okay, Kirsty, since it's Christmas week and uh, we're in de- very different places and my husband and I have been having this discussion which I do appreciate him sharing the mental load on this because he said to me, we should really think about what we're having for Christmas lunch. <laughs> and I said, we totally should. <laughs> um, of course, I'd already thought about it. But uh, it was good that he came up with the idea as well. So what are you having? What's What are you having on the table for Christmas lunch dinner and has it changed depending on the country? or place you're in. Yes, it does because I still blissfully think back or wistfully think back to a Christmas we had in Qatar where we went to the Four Seasons and I still think that was one of the best Christmases I've ever had because the lunch was had nothing to do with me. So it was just wonderful, one of the most relaxing Christmas days ever. But no, what happens for us is we have Christmas lunch here at our house and we will have Greg's mum, hopefully, fingers crossed, is flying over. She did get a phone call from the airline today saying, do you want to cancel because of, you know, current corona situations we have with borders, etc. But fingers crossed, she'll be here on the 23rd, as will my mum. And uh, we are controversially, controversially not having the turkey. We're forgoing the turkey because everyone has admitted. That's controversial. Yeah, no one wants the turkey. 
No one wants the taggy. But no, but is that, I mean, Australia is that controversial? I mean, I thought for years Australians hadn't. Oh, had no, that see, for the there lunch. you are with your Sydney affectation again, Nikki. <laughs> now, sorry, that's an in joke that I think I should explain to everyone. On Don't Shoot the Messenger, which Nikki and I both listen to, I listen to it religiously. I think, Nikki, you got, are you a religious listener as well now? Yeah, I, really I love listen, them. I love them. But the two hosts are from Melbourne and occasionally they have one of the hosts' mother comes on and she's beautiful <laughs> and of her time and she's a she's a Julia. Julia, Julia. And Julia talks of Melbourne of old, I think. And um when someone talked about crayfish and prawns uh, at Christmas, she said <laughs> Oh, that's a Sydney affectation, which we both absolutely loved because, yes, um, there is there is the classic Bondi Beach Christmas scene, isn't there, where people are having barbecues and prawns and it's all summer and sunshine. I have to say, I, coming from South Australia, even if it was 45 degrees, my father still insisted that we have a roast lunch and we have turkey and all the trimmings and everything. And there was there has always been, because my dad has always been here for Christmas, the guilt of we have to cook a turkey and provide a hot meal. Well, Dad's not here this year. <laughs> so, Dad, sorry, but now we're not having the turkey because everybody has agreed, yet. yes, we can go without the turkey. We're doing a lamb. So one of the uh, children, I, what I did this year is asked each child to make a request for something they really wanted to eat. So we're having lamb. We're having, you know, big fat, you know, juicy organic. That comes cold, No, it? that's cooked. <laughs> uh, big fat, juicy roast chickens. In place of the turkey, a couple of great big salads. We have, because China doesn't like us anymore in Australia, crayfish and lobster are now very cheap. Well, cheaper. So they were usually 140 bucks a kilo because the Chinese don't want them. They're now $70 a kilo. So we're having crayfish, um, probably a couple of kilos of prawns because some of us do still love the prawns. Um, and that's pretty much what will be on our table. I am doing instead, nobody likes trifle. People like tiramisu. So I'm trying a new recipe. I'm doing a Christmas which is a yes Christmas there's cherries on top but it's kind of like a tiramisu my sister's doing a pavlova um and we are doing the lunch we are going to lose a child for the first time ever who is going to go to her boyfriend's house Christmas evening to play with him and his family so that will be different but we'll have people from the street come and join us later that night um so, yeah, it'll just be sort of a bit of a roll through and hopefully the weather's nice enough that we might be able to get to the beach and have a paddle board and, uh, you know, just take it easy. My favourite day, Nikki, and I, I'm sure I've said this before, is Boxing Day. Boxing Day. Boxing Day is the best day of the year always. So always. I'm looking forward to Boxing Day on the couch, cricket on, just and all of you can all just no Sydney to Hobart. No, no Sydney to Hobart. Another Sydney affectation. But no. it's not a Sydney affectation. It is one of the things that is consistently on the television 
on uh, Boxing Absolutely. Day where you always turn over from the cricket um, to watch the start of the Sydney to Hobart race. Absolutely you do. Um, yes, so there is no Sydney to Hobart. Oh, poor old Sydney. Uh, Nikki, what's on your Christmas table? That's a really good question. So we've talked about this often, well, most of the time in our expat life, every second Christmas we've gone to Australia. So we've sort of always every second year been at home with family, having uh, seafood because, of course, we are from New South (laughs) Wales. Uh, (laughs) And I don't eat it, but, you know, I have the salads and the vegetables. (laughs) Yeah, so what an Aussie Christmas looks like is very much what you've said. I mean, we haven't always had a turkey, but there's always been some sort of roast meat Mm. plus seafood plus salad plus, you know, veggies and a warm, some sort of warm pudding. Um, uh, so when we've been overseas, we've tried as often as we can to always have like an orphan's Christmas. So we'll get a group of people together and, you know, who aren't going to their home country, who are mainly expats because usually locals go, uh, have family to be with over that holiday time and, you know, have a whole group of people together. The first Christmas we were away from Australia, we had a whole, there was a, a big, U, um, U.S., a Navy ship in town and one of some of our new friends were from the US Navy and so we invited all these people to our house and we didn't know all these ship people from the ship sailors US sailors came we sort of had sort of 15 people in our house for Christmas and a whole bunch of US sailors so that was a great time and you know it was sort of like a, a potluck where we did sort of a, a few things and then people bought other stuff together and I mean there have been some of our really best Christmases yes. that we've had while we've been away yeah. where we've just got together with other families who are also away from their families at Christmas and you know, just sat around a table having a great time just with a, a hodgepodge of Christmas, you know, delicacies. People bring things from their own country or people bring, you know, things that are, are you know, traditional to yes. them. And I can't really say what we've had every time. I can just say that it's you remember the company and the yes. friends and the and the the times that you had. And in the US we would do it in our basement. So we would like set up the 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 tables from Costco you know trestle tables in the basement and we'd have really long tables and then everybody who couldn't travel or whatever would come to our house and then we'd have because we had a bar in our basement of course why why wouldn't you and so we would have Christmas lunch and then by the end of Christmas uh, the rest of the day all the people in our neighborhood who had had their families around or staying local would come over and have drinks in the evening so I mean those are the kinds of Christmases I like to have and I really have to say I'm a little bit sad this year that it's it's going to be the four of us so your question was what's the table and the answer is I don't know because I was looking so someone put a post in an expats in Hamburg Facebook group the other day about now we've gone to to a new lockdown and all you know but they're still take restaurants are still open for takeaway so we should remember them and we should support them and here's all a lot of great restaurants and then someone put up a couple of places that are actually doing Christmas dinners like you can buy a Christmas dinner like, oh, that sounds like oh, a good idea. Well, I think that's cool. a great idea, Nikki. <laughs> I think you've got to do everything you can to make it easy. And also that's a little bit of excitement, you know, dinner arrives yeah. and that's a bit of excitement of what are we going to get? And I'd totally be doing that. And 
the other thing for us is is on the time table we're on so we are in we're here and you're there and so our mornings are spent talking to our Australian families because we don't have time to sort of spend hours in the kitchen um so when we're in the states it was like the night time so we would get up in the morning do all the preparations for the day have the the lazy lunch have all our friends over and then sort of duck out to do our calls with family whereas now we do all the calls with family when we wake up sort of for the first half of the day and then it's lunchtime and so you either choose okay well you don't have lunch you have dinner or whatever but I don't know so I think I'm going to today decide after we get off this call I'm going to sort of look through the options and see and if I decide that we won't do that then I'll we'll do something else because we have a new vegetarian in the house this year so for Christmas, which we've never had before, uh, so we have to consider the vegetarian as well. Okay, okay, Nikki, <laughs> tell me, is there such a thing as expat snobbery? And when I say when I oh. say expat snobbery, I mean I saw something recently from an expat where they said that they would they dreaded going home and being surrounded by people who hadn't travelled. And I, 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 there's something about those memes that you see or those wanderlust pics where they've got this tone like where they go, oh, I'd rather spend my money on travel or I'd rather have stamps in my passport, you know, than expensive items, you know, in my house or whatever. There's this, there's this vibe and they make me cringe and I want to know, is that expat snobbery and what are your thoughts? Totes, totes is. Uh, so I look. I think it is. It's 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 kind of a combination of things. I think because it is you are a product of your life experiences, and if your life experiences are that you travel and you know, or you've lived overseas, then you are looking at your life from that point of view. But the really important thing you have to remember is you can't judge other people for looking at life from their point of view and from their experiences. And that's, you know, I'm, uh, you know, my, my my inside judgy is always there. And, and I, I'd really try to remember to, to not do that, to, to really sort of think. And, but I definitely, I mean, it is, you find a lot of people go, go home, go repatriate and end up being friends with a lot of other people who've been through the same experiences Mm. because, they have the same experiences. They can relate to each other. They have the same. It's why when you're overseas, you often become friends with people from your home country because you've had the same experiences <laughs> in the past. You know, it, it's the same mm. thing. It's like why are Australians friends with Australians all the time? You know, why are Americans stick together? Why, you know, why do Japanese people always hang out? You know, why, you know, why don't they integrate more in the international environment at this our school? Because they are sharing their cultural similarities, and they're you know in a in a foreign, different environment, they they're not clinging, but they're they're thinking that that's nice to have that have that, and so it's the same kind of thing. I think. Look, I it totally exists, and it it horrifies me, and it's one of the downsides of when you say you're an expat mm. is that people mm. a lot of people expect you to have that. Viewpoint yeah. and the, those. Oh, opinions. look, I'm going to be much harsher than you, Nikki. I think that those sort of expats <laughs> give other expats a really bad name. 
because they're, they're, it's because well, of yeah. those expats that people think, I'm not even going to ask you about your Travis because I don't want to hear about it because I know exactly I know exactly your spiel. And I don't understand why people do it because I think maybe it's my country upbringing. Like I, I do remember that there were people that could travel and they certainly weren't my people <laughs> and I, I and I can't remember ever having a real jealousy about it but I just remember there was it was never an option for us we were never going to go overseas on a big extended holiday or travel like that or stay in a fancy hotel or do those things they they weren't our things but I wonder did people feel the need to tell you about their travels because they feel that they've lacked some of the other things too you know maybe maybe there is a little bit of a what if about if they'd stayed in the same place and their kids had gone to the same school or they'd been able to be a part of the one community um or built you know built that stability around them is that it yeah. that they need to justify yeah. oh okay so maybe I don't have that stability but I've been to St Petersburg and I've you know climbed a mountain or I've you know uh lived in London or I've <laughs> what do you mean I've climbed a mountain Kirsty I don't know what you're saying have you climbed a mountain I don't think you've told me about that before um <laughs> I I just but I see that stuff and it just makes me cringe because I think okay that's great but not everybody can that's a very that's a very um uh I don't know. It's a rich people problem. Well, yes and no. So I'm going to tell you a story and, and it kind of always rings true to me as how I ended up as an expat. But you, I, I totally hear what you're saying and I agree. When I was uh, five, my parents sold everything that they owned except the house and they, my father went on long service leave from his job and, my, and they took us and we travelled around the world for 15 months. So we travelled all around wow. Europe in a camper van. We lived in a yeah. camper van and then we road trips through the states for six weeks on the mm-hmm. way home and then after that every sort of couple of years my mum or dad we would never or necessarily go together would t- would take us with my grandmother so my grandmother my mum and I went a couple of times you know and then other times my mum and dad took us and we would go somewhere overseas for yeah. a holiday and like not skiing or fancy, yeah. but, but we'd just go and we'd be yeah. tourists and we'd visit and whatever. And you weren't at the we lived in his house in a glass bottom hut. No, no. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. <laughs> never went to Fiji or Bali, never went to any of those places. So anyway, so we, and, and we lived in this house and it had green shag pile carpet well into the 80s. It had between the living room and the dining room these um See through glass, sort of walls, like beer bottles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. And my friends lived in these houses that were being renovated and they're having new rooms and they're having new bathrooms and new kitchens and or they lived in a new house. And and I'd say, and we had this cane furniture that my parents had. I cannot remember them ever getting rid of it till I was 30 uh, when they got divorced. And I said to my mum, why do we, why do we have this carpet? And, well, why do we have these horrible furniture? And obviously I was a horrible child. And my mother said to me, we have it because, you know, you're complaining that your friends live in these different houses. 
but you get to go overseas you get to do and see other things that they don't get to do you have you get to have this travel and I remember the time thinking oh I am such a little pain in the ass because I didn't ever see it that way until they explained it to me so they really made sacrifices for the travel that we got to do and they made a choice it wasn't both that we didn't Mm. get both we had one or the other and, and that's what we get to have and it wasn't every year and it wasn't a lot but I remember being really clear then that it, what we got was something that my parents yeah. sacrificed to give us and it was a privilege and that I had to accept that and understand yeah. that. And I think that's the way I've always yes. thought about it is that that was like a, you know, it's one of those moments when your p- parents speak to you and you think, oh, that felt like a slap on the face, which was not yes. what they meant to do. Yes. It was just them explaining yeah, something I do to get you. It. And then you never yeah. There's conversations that you yeah. never ever forget, and that. And you know, Nikki, you said parents. the magic word privilege because that's what it is. It's an absolute privilege, and I think that's what irks me is because I read those things and I think, don't you realize that some people will will never ever be able to afford that holiday? Do you know because they're yeah. struggling just to get through the week and put food on the table? I think that's it. I don't. I, don't, I think. It just, to me, it falls flat where you go, well, not everybody even gets to make that choice. Um, And, yeah, I I just feel for the people reading it. They go, oh, that's lovely that you'd rather do that than this. But I'm just struggling to, you know, feed the family and get through the day at the moment. Or if you're a single parent trying to do it, you know, and having to deal with it. Anyway, yes, I think I I love that about your parents though because I think they made the right choice, didn't they, rather than have all the fancy schmancy stuff. Well, now I think so. At the time yeah. I was a bit horrified. Yes, that green shag foul <laughs> carpet. <laughs> I think our I think our kids 100%. would do the same with us with our cars. We have very basic cars here in Australia. We do, when we have not had a new car, do you know? And so I, one of our cars yeah. is over twenty years old and has done two hundred thousand kilometers, and that's the one we use to pick them up from school. And you can see that a couple of the kids, it's like, oh God, who comes my parents in that you know decrepit old. <laughs> Ah. Um, but yeah, same thing. I'm sure it works. It works. I love it. I actually really do love it. <laughs> okay, Nikki, three favorite things. Now I know we've done the high low to death, and I know it's silly to talk about the high low because it's finished now. It's done. They've broken our hearts and they've left us. But I truly can't decide what I enjoyed more the graham norton episode which was the penultimate episode and then the finale of high low where i had a good cry in the car and i just love them um i'm i know we've talked about it enough but have you have you listened to the finale yet because we did talk about saving it and savoring it i did and i tweeted about it and dolly Alderson <gasps> replied to me Jan, what did dolly say tell us what dolly said <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head and we I hadn't prepared this earlier but it was you know like a like a you know a thank you and a little kiss or something you know like oh. a little x but yeah because I said you know if you want to I said something if you want to feel good but still have some tears and you know <laughs> listen to this That's episode because I I just sort of retweeted it and because it was just it was yeah it was hard like I cried as well but I, it was so lovely I it's just 
I really, really enjoyed it. And it's really, it is a hole in my life. Like when I do my scrolling and and I see and I do my downloads and I see what's there, like I, I really am missing yeah, the high low. Yeah. Look, the other thing I really liked, and uh, this came out in the last sort of month, but it was, I'm not sure if you've watched the I Am Woman um television now it wasn't it was a yes. series it was, yep. what would you call it it wasn't a movie it wasn't a series it was like a telly series i get or a telly what would you call that or would you call it a movie oh i don't know i haven't sorry i didn't see it. Okay. i didn't see it it was, it was yeah the so there was the story, helen ready story here it was on stan which usually means for you it's hulu and maybe it didn't even make it to america because it's about an australian helen reddy who of course wrote i am woman um well we had the helen reddy story which was great but then when we had the arias which are the music awards in australia uh uh a very large group of australian women actually i reckon there must have been about 20 of them all together uh did a rendition of i am woman now i yeah that's what I saw. Yeah. That's what I said. That's what I've so seen. So it's very Australia centric. In I don't you uh, most of the people are not international artists, but it was. I just thought it was no. a beautiful um, rendition of I am women. I am woman. Um, but yeah, the actual um, uh, movie. I really enjoyed it as well. I think it fell flat with a few people, but we loved it as a family one we watched it as a family thought it was great uh okay nikki the next one and i'll put the link to the um i am woman uh aria uh, rendition as well in the show notes but we've talked a lot about louis through uh lately and i can't remember which one you and i both listened to that we liked i think you talked about the john ronson interview and enjoying that one in particular I'm trying to think of who he interviewed just recently that I absolutely loved. Sia. Yeah, absolutely loved Louis Theroux talking to Sia. Loved their friendship and the little insight that you got to that friendship. Sia's, I don't know if you knew this, Sia's actually from Adelaide and um, she used to um, uh, play with a band here and she kind of touched on that a bit, which I thought was really really interesting because I'd always wondered she used to play with this band called Crisp and they'd play live here and um, when all the music people came looking for her they wanted her to ditch Crisp and she touched on how she didn't really know how to do that so she just instead just sort of fled the whole situation and went away because she couldn't face it. I think with the whole cancel culture thing and Sia being cancelled recently or an attempt to cancel they don't really touch on that in the interview too much it was afterwards she talked about a twitter incident yeah but that was Mm. not the incident it it, because he announces at the beginning because i listened to it Ah. after you because you sent me the link and said if you listen to this and so i'm very obviously in uh, attuned to the incident the more recent one um because it's about autistic people and i uh went to listen and at the beginning he says this interview was recorded got before it. the got incident. it got it got it okay I didn't hear that bit but what I wanted to say like yes listen to that and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that interview but I did just go down like I went back because I thought I'm sure Nikki had mentioned the John Ronson and you know I'm a massive John Ronson fan I went and saw him in London yes, I, do. I love him I think he's amazing 
But I went back, you know, when you really love listening to something, you think, oh, I want to go and listen to more of that person. And I kind of went back in time. John Ronson, the most recent thing, uh, podcast he did was called The Last Days of August. And But before The Last Days of August, which was about a porn star who had committed suicide and cancelled culture again, but before that he did a podcast called The Butterfly Effect and it was on the porn industry but it was more on the focus of a guy called Fabian who was the guy who was the clever nut who worked out how to make Pornhub, um, which is basically the YouTube of uh you know, porn. Oh. And the butterfly effect is what happened to the porn industry from him working out how to do Pornhub. And it is a fantastic series. It takes you all through sort of what happened to the people that worked in the industry, what happened to the movie makers, down to what happened to the sales of sex dolls. Um, and it's really interesting because it plays with your mind where you have in your mind this idea of what sort of people are buying sex dolls and then you hear beautiful stories about people that require sex dolls and people with anxiety and people with issues where they can't leave the house people that can't have relationships etc etc and then and then you get the bizarre as well um but the final episode is an episode with fabian an interview with fabian and one of the movie producers who's basically, you know, going bankrupt because of Fabian working out how to do Pornhub. You know, this movie producer is making porn movies that are on the market for two weeks and then bang, there they are for free on Pornhub. Um, so I, do, I just thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And I think sometimes it's good to go back and find something that was great but it just disappeared you know like to go back and find it um the butterfly effect now is called the last days of august because i think when they made the last days of august they put it all under the same um feed and so it all went through right. so go back and go you'll be able to find it by looking for the last days of august or searching for john ronson and you'll find it and i think it is really really good listening can i just ask yeah. you going circling back to the beginning as someone uh, that has probably more interest in the Sia story with autism um, and the movie that she made and the cancel culture. How did you feel about that interview and her? Well, because I listened to it knowing that it was before the incident happened, I was very happy just to listen to it regardless. What what I did think was I really liked her. She came across as a really likeable person, a little bit um, you know, she's a little bit quirky. Um, she has this relationship with this young girl, Madeline, who, in fact, the when I say relationship, sorry, it's not it's not a romantic relationship, a friendship, it's a relationship, a friend, you know, a friendship with with a young someone who's young enough to be her daughter, and that that was part of the the later controversy. And so I I, I really liked it. I thought that it was was interesting interview I liked the way that they had a personal connection and a personal relationship and that they bought that that um Louis Thoreau bought that into the interview I find things like that much more interesting than people interviewing people they don't know at all I find having the sort of little the under 
under sort of the undertow or the under you know the feeling that there's a little bit of inside jokes there's a little bit of you know talking about shared experiences i i enjoy that more in listening to an interview podcast yeah because i mean there are loads of people that interview people and they all interview the same people all the same famous people but you don't always hear that level of you know, yeah. and she said, oh, you know, I'd tell you anything, I trust you, you know, whether all that's true or not. But you just got the feeling that, that all that was true and that she was perhaps giving him more in this interview than she would give to other people. That's how yes. I felt about it. Yeah, yeah. What were your favourite things? Tell me Well, yours. before I do my favourite things, I want to ask you a question, Kirsty. Because uh, we got a little bit off track in November because of because of uh, incidents out of both of our control. But I wanted to know how you went in NaNoWriMo. <laughs> Yes. Oh, because you arrived there every day. NaNoWriMo was an excellent experience for me this time. I have tried to crack NaNoWriMo before and just, you know, it's been a failure. This year it was good for a number of things. I realised that I had it all wrong with how I was trying to do the book. I was doing it very much um in a memoir kind of style, right? Because um, so just uh, going back, Nikki, because I can't remember how much I've told people about the whole book story. I don't even know if we have ever have really discussed that. Oh, we've talked about before. encouraging you to write the book. So it's not from the beginning then about the book because I think we've got time. <laughs> I think at the end of year episodes can be a tiny bit longer. So. Okay, okay, all right. So my story with the book is when back 10 years ago when I started the blog, and the blog is for kids, 20 suitcases and a beagle. I had done the blog for about, I don't know, maybe six months to a year and woke up one morning and there was a email from HarperCollins saying, hey, would you like to write a book? And, <laughs> you know, it was back in those days where I think people that had a blog following, you know, publishers had just sort of started to realise, hey, this is a really easy way of selling you know, 10,000 copies. If these people have got a community, you know, they'll be able to sell the books themselves. And it, it was all a little bit daunting because I hadn't ever thought about writing a book. It wasn't in my um, in my sights and uh, I didn't know how to write a book anyway. Sort of I did everything, I guess, uh, ass backwards in that I then sort of said to people, oh, I don't know, could I write a book? And then someone said, oh, maybe you should get an agent. And then so, you know, a, a girlfriend had an agent and said, you know, you should go and see this person. So I went to Sydney and I signed an agent deal and I did a, a chapter outline of, you know, 22 chapters of this memoir, memoir that, that really had me starting from when we went to Jakarta to then finishing when we arrived in Qatar because it was back in 2010. We'd only been in Qatar for a year. So I guess I kind of always felt like a bit of a fraud in that I'm not an author. I don't know how to write books. And I also didn't think it would be very interesting because I couldn't see that I was very interesting all my life. Anyway, I think I've got my head around of how I will do it now without it being so much as of a memoir as more as as more as a selection of stories. And it and I've kind of uh, come up with an idea of 
different sayings and phrases that we might use and then matching those stories to those phrases and making it more a story of international travels and international women. So I've got 40,000 words, which is Wow, that's uh-huh. amazing. That's, that's halfway. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Because I now can sort of see it, it. I guess it's taken the whole me, 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 me focus a bit more and more telling stories. And it's not, oh, well, I have to go from here and then to here and then to here for it to make sense. It doesn't need to now. It's sort of, you know, a little bit easier to make it about different topics more than sequential things of needing a build up of da, da, da. And then he walked through the room and then this happened. That's not me. Do you know? And that's what a memoir is really. And um, so, yes, it's more a collection of stories and ideas of, of expat life. So I, I am feeling really good about it. And I think probably we'll get through Christmas and all these people in the house and school holidays and whatever. And then I'll give myself February to keep going. And if I can do 40,000 in November, you would hope I could do another 40,000 in February, March, wouldn't you? You would hope. You would definitely yes. hope. Okay, okay, congratulations on that. All right, so um, my three things. Uh, so I listened to uh, I listened to a podcast uh, called Crime Writers on that I've talked about here before, and one one of the one of the people on the podcast said, "Oh, I'm in this podcast. The podcast is called Servant of Pod, and the host is Nick Quire, and it's a review of podcast best podcasts of the year. Oh. And I did it with someone from the New York Times and New York." sorry, not New York Magazine, who, who reviews podcasts. And I thought, oh, totally listening to that episode because I, I think, you know, you and I, we listen to a lot of podcasts, but it's always good to know whether you caught all the ones you think are yes. the best ones of the year. Anyway, so I went and I listened to this, the podcast, uh, the Servant of Pod podcast, and it threw up two other podcasts that I had never heard of nor listened to. And I was a little bit ashamed because I was thinking, I feel like I know all the best podcasts. <laughs> Not all the best podcasts, but even if I don't listen to them, I know which are the popular podcasts. You know, like you know which are the, mm. you know, which got the most listens, whatever. Anyway, I realised that I had missed this podcast uh, called Canary by the Washington Post that was much earlier in the year. I think it's six or seven episodes. Anyway, I went and listened to it and it, it is an amazing story it's um, totally amazing and I I think to explain about it is when they were talking about it in the best of the year it's really hard to say to explain it because you give away what happens but basically it's it's a a reporter from the Washington Post who reports on uh, sort of the post me too moment and she had reported on this woman who um was attacked on the street she was jogging and she was attacked on the street and the, they caught the attacker and he went to court and he was given a sentence that she didn't think was very justified she thought it, he deserved more and in court he ended up pleading guilty and he pleaded guilty to attacking more women than her and so she sort of staged a bit of a um a neighborhood action because he worked near her job. So she saw him all the time walking around the neighborhood. So she put up posters and anyway, it was her her story. It was about what happened to her. 
and this was the whole first episode. I was thinking, where where is this going? Like, this is a, this is a great story, but it's sort of all in one episode. And then at the end of the episode, there's this twist from the story, and all the other episodes in the series about that sort of come out of the twist in the story. Um, and it is truly a, a, an amazing podcast to listen to. I really really enjoyed it, and I would oh, recommend I can't it. Wait. Oh, I can't wait! I love it, Canary. Okay, okay, Canary. By the Washington Post. And then so my other one would be, that's sort of a bit It's heavy. It's not super heavy, but it, you know, it deals with heavy issues. There's another one called Dead Eyes, which my online friend who I message with about podcasts uh, and uh, pop media stuff has, has sent me, Jules. And basically there's a guy. So Tom Hanks is known as Mr. Nice Guy in Hollywood. You know, everyone talks about how great it is to work with him, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, there's this guy and his name is Connor Ratcliffe. And if you saw him, you'd think, oh, you know, maybe I've seen him in some things. Anyway, he was up for a role in the Band of Brothers miniseries and he got it and uh-huh. he and Tom Hanks was epic was directing the episode he was in. It was a really small role. Like it was, you know, one of those people that you you hand the messages to the important person or whatever. Anyway, and <laughs> Tom Hanks was directing the episode that he was in and so he was super excited to be working with him. Anyway, it turns out that Tom Hanks thought he had dead eyes oh, and so no. he, got, he got sacked from his role. <gasps> and so basically it's this, it's, he's, a, he's a comedian sort of as well so it's basically him going back over the course of his life and seeing you know Tom Hanks thinking he had dead eyes how that has impacted his whole trajectory of his life (laughs) and basically and it sounds like it's a bit of like revenge podcasting but it's really not it's really and he 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 is sort of a uh, he's been in Hollywood a long time so he has loads of famous friends and he has done you know worked with a lot of people so he interviews all these very impressive people that you would definitely know and like you know do you think I've got dead eyes and and then it just talks about the whole process like how it works like he's he was signed up he was given like a contract he'd signed the contract he was the next day they said Tom Hanks wants he's not sure he wants to see you so he came in he had to audition for Tom and then the agent had to come out the casting agent had to come out and say we've gone a different way and and he just and what happened to his life after that point and how he dealt with it and everything but it's so interesting because he really is very clever the way it's all put together uh and the people he talked to are all people you know and you know you're interested in hearing their story and basically it's about you know when you get a tough break and how you know how there's 10 people that all look like you and it really just depends on the day what happens and acting and it's it's a very interesting podcast but it's also funny and it's a bit of a giggle and um and does tom hanks does tom hanks ever come back into his life uh well i think this is the point of the podcast he's hoping to one day (laughs) audition for tom hanks again but basically not at this point i haven't listened to the whole thing it's uh, all season one's over so i think not to this point but it's the point and it's really interesting to hear people talk about tom hanks yeah nobody says anything like you just hear them say oh that was really rough you know and I've had all these experiences and but you know Tom Hanks great guy like it's just (laughs) so and it really makes you aware of the ongoing power structures and everything that exists 
in this process and how he wanted to talk to the casting agent that did it to him and they're like, no, we, we won't talk to you. No, I don't want to talk to you. like this. Yeah. And it's just why wouldn't they want to talk to you? So he interviews another casting agent about why that casting agent wouldn't want to talk. It's just sort of a behind-the-scenes look at yeah. the acting scene, which is really, you know, like you can think, well, actors, whatever, but it, it it is an industry. It's a highly competitive industry and, you know, people's mental health and, you know, fortunes uh, are all based on, you know, particular things. So um, what's the guy, the name, the guy from Mad Men, you know, the guy? Uh, John Hamm. So John Hamm, he's in like two or three episodes and he and this guy have actually, they acted together when um, Connor was in high school. He acted with John, John Hamm was a college senior and, and Connor was in high school and they did this play where it was just basically them on stage together. And John Hamm was his therapist and they had sort of this therapist relationship. So anyway, just the way you talk about it. And John Hamm says, you know, I went out for audition after audition and he said, you know, someone called my agent and said, look, just don't bring you anymore. John Hamm is not going to be a television star. <gasps> and, you know, Connor laughs and laughs. But, you know, it, it just shows that all these people went through this whole thing. All yes. these people went through this process of how it all works. And, you know, someone, I was listening to another podcast yesterday, which is totally different, but they talked about Mary Elizabeth Mastromonio. Is that she, Mary? Oh, There's yeah, an actress. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, and they said, I was watching a movie with her the other day, and then I read some things about her and how she was the next big thing. And then, you know, six months later, someone else starts appearing in movies that looks a lot like her, has the same sort of feel, and then ends up getting chosen for everything and her name was Julia Roberts. You know, you just can't tell yes. based on what time someone appears, how it's all going to work and yes. how it's just basically, you know, like, anyway, it's a, just a funny way of putting all that information together. So I totally recommend that. And the third thing I'm going to talk about, because we're going to go a bit longer today, so I'll talk about something that takes a bit longer. <laughs> I can feel the editing snipping coming behind me. Um, so a show I've been watching is Industry. I've been watching it on Hulu, and I don't know where it would be in Australia. We can find that out before we yes. post it. I've heard it described as Girls Meets Billions which are two shows I haven't really watched a lot of. Oh, I loved Girls. I've, I was addicted I've to also, Girls. Were you not a Girls watcher? No, I wasn't a Girls watcher. But, oh, I've, but I've also heard people work in banking say, oh, my God, it's like it's like I was there. And I have to say I was absolutely captivated. So from my short stint in investment banking in Hong Kong for five years, I was like, oh, my God, this this is it. And basically the show covers, I mean, it's a bit more dramatic because there are things that wouldn't normally happen, but the show covers a group of first year, so a group of sort of graduates or first year people working on a desk, a sales desk in a bank. So selling to clients, selling ideas and, oh my God, it's like I'm back in working in an investment bank in Hong Kong. It was wow. just so felt really like that and it's quite gritty which I think an American show wouldn't be able to be quite as gritty you know how yes. British shows sort of get yes. have that little bit extra, yep. Yep. You know, it's like a, it's like a very moody Christmas have you seen uh sorry to get you off track but have you, you know, seen a very moody Christmas is like just brilliant Australian television have you seen it Nikki 
No. I'm oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I've just given you the biggest Christmas gift of all time. You are going to sit down with Sam. And actually, I'd love to hear what your kids think of it too because it's so Australian. But it's basically like the castle, but it's um, called A Very Moody Christmas or Christmas with the Moody's. I think it's A Very Moody Christmas. I think we talked about this before and I still didn't go and see it. Yeah. And so it's, it's it's an Australian guy who goes to live in London and each episode is him coming home for Christmas in Australia each year with his very bogan Australian family. family and oh. um and, and it's just beautiful it's absolutely beautiful because you see the you see this family over those seven or eight years or whatever it is where he's coming home and what's happening within them and it's hysterically funny and it's really good but I've seen that they've done an American very moody Christmas the American one has Dennis Leary in it and it's just and of course, I'm biased, but I tried to watch it um, because I yeah. love, I love a moody Christmas. But I watched it and thought, no, it's not that same. And, and you've said it, the grittiness, like it's not that same yeah. uncomfortableness. Like you watch the Australian, you're like, oh, this is so uncomfortable, but it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling it in that same way but yeah now you have to watch it because I've just that is I would be so happy to be watching that in the lead up to Christmas promise me you watch it today and (laughs) we will discuss (laughs) back to industry I worked so when I was there I worked as a business manager uh, in the equity research business so I was signing off all these entertainment credit card bills that the business analysts were bringing from entertaining their clients uh, and there's one point in this in this show where someone says, okay, here's what you need to know. Don't drink, don't stay out after midnight, and don't sleep with anyone in the office. I'm like, oh, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> this is all going to go to hell in a handbasket. And just the way you have to interact with clients, you do anything to keep the client happy. And and I, and I would sit down with the analyst and say, now what was this for, this $1,200 bar bill? You know? And yes. You know, like, and, and this place in Bangkok, I, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. And it just like that kind of stuff. And it, it's just, I just, I, I don't know. Anyway, there was a, um, I think it was a GQ article I read called um, HBO Industry Horny Bankers. <laughs> but basically it just, like, you know, it just all rang ding, ding, ding true to me. Apart from, I mean, there are some things that, that are and a little bit over the top. And do you think it's still but... the same? Do you think the industry has sort of cleaned itself I, up a bit? I don't know because I would think, because certainly by the time I got there, people were saying, oh, you know, the old days is much better in the old days, you know, the 80s, which were obviously like oh amazing. Imagine that. Know, that like, would have been $10,000 <laughs> lunches and, yeah. Correct. All that kind of stuff, white noses and everything. But But I think that... I don't know if the industry is the same, which is why I was really interested to watch this show. As soon as I saw it, it was a show about, you know, people working on a on a sales desk in a in an investment bank. I was like, oh, I want to see it. Yeah. I, I think I think it's still there. I think the undertones are definitely still there. Is it set in the modern day for industry? It's set in the modern day, yeah. And it has a couple of Americans in it in London, you know, because obviously those uh-huh. things are all very international. So yeah. it's kind of got them in it to sort of keep the interest and the everything but it yeah I don't know if if you've 
it's to me I was really into it because I was like oh I feel like I'm back at work and also I enjoy sort of that sort of escapism tv so yes. anyway it's just it's, it's a recommendation for me okay. it's my third recommendation on the okay Kessie so on the list so we are and I'm going to put the moody Christmases in here so we can add them so next week Kirsty, we talked about this so it is Christmas this week and yes. next week we talked about doing one last episode for the year yes. and what are we going to talk about next week? I think next week we should talk about what was hot for the in the expat world month by month I mean I know everyone's doing their updates of the year and they're going to tell you what mammoth occasions happened in January, February, March. But all of those things are always very country-centric, aren't they, of what happened in that particular country, whereas we live in a different world where everybody's from everywhere. So I thought we could talk about what were the hot topics for us and in the Two Fat Expats world um, for the year and we'll just do a little update and I think it'll be really good to look back because like, you know, Nikki, you and I were talking before about in Australia, they're definitely saying things like, oh, and in March, Corona hit. Whereas you and I were like, no, 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 in January. <laughs> January. In January, it started in the Two Fat Expats world. That's when uh, the Fatterati started to say, Hey guys, I think something big's happening yeah. here. I think this should is I travel? Be a problem. Should I travel? Um, so I think it'd be good to look back what the big issues were and what we were all talking about and what was what was sort of different this year for us. Perfect. Okay. I look forward to talking to you about it then. I look forward to watching the moody Christmas and I look forward to photos from Christmas lunch at the <laughs> table. And just a quick note for anyone that's got their headphones in and can hear a little murmur in the background, I have moved rooms to sort of get a little bit further away from my husband, but unfortunately that means I'm a little bit closer <laughs> to my son, who I've just realised has the deepest voice. He really should be a 1970s <laughs> disc jockey. Um, so anyone that can hear that the occasional, it's my son talking to his mates on his computer. <laughs> So if you have picked that up, if you haven't, well done, good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. But I'm sorry if I've annoyed someone immensely throughout this entire podcast. Okay. Well, good chats and uh, enjoy. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.